you what you missed. It was a lot of fun. Thanks to everyone who participated. At this time, we'll invite the ushers to come forward to receive the offering. And as they do, look over a few of the announcements for the upcoming, well, today and this week and in the near future. Today, we have a special event at 5 o'clock. It's our missions dinner, and we have five, mission, five of our missionaries who will be here in person sharing with us what God is doing in their ministries and really looking forward to this time. It includes dinner, and it's not a potluck. Don't, we don't want any of your food. We'll get real food. No, just kidding. It, all the food, everything's provided. You just show up at 5 o'clock up in the fellowship hall, and I know it'll be a great time and, and give you a chance to connect with some of our missionaries. Because of the missions uh, dinner at 5, the College and Career Fellowship, which meets at 7, will meet down here because fellowship hall may not be cleared out in time. Now, if you're in that college age uh, group, it's a good chance for you to come meet the missionaries, get a free meal, and slip out and come down here and meet. So the sanctuary should be changed from we have a wedding here this afternoon. I was thinking about wearing a suit today just to freak you out, because I had to bring a suit anyway. They told me I couldn't wear jeans for their wedding, so, but uh, I thought better of it and just left the suit up in my office. But anyway, busy, great day for me. I get to spend the whole day and here in the Lord's place that's so special to us. And, and so, uh, but make sure that you come out at five o'clock if you have a chance. Before that, a good way to kill some time would be to go and minister at the Villa Valencia Outreach, which at one o'clock they do a church service over there. And at two o'clock they go around and just chat with and visit with the people who live there at Villa Valencia. So this would be a special thing if you did that, and that is today. Uh, junior high summer camp is coming up July 30th, and today is the last day to sign up for that. If you have a junior high aged kid, this is something you definitely want to sign them up for. Camps are so amazing for kids. Just God seems to work with kids in a real special way at the camp, up at the youth camp. Now, today our high schoolers will be going up for the high school camp this week, so keep them in prayer that God would just be speaking to them and in a powerful way. But junior high camp sign-ups are today. We have a married couples retreat coming up uh, it's a local one at the Ayers Hotel in Mission Viejo, September 29th and 30th. Ken Ortiz from Calvary Chapel, Spokane, is coming down to speak, and he is one of my favorites. He's really good, especially in the area of marriage and family. So you definitely want to sign up for that. September 9th, we're going to an angel game, having a tailgate party beforehand. You can sign up for that in the foyer, too. And we've scheduled our baptism for August 19th. That's a Saturday. We'll do it in the evening at 6 down at Pirates Cove in Corona del Mar. So if you haven't been baptized or you know someone who wants to be baptized, put that on your calendar. August 19th will be our baptism. And then July 29th, Saturday, some guys are going down to Mexico to do some construction work for the day, and so if you'd like to help out with that, that would be great. Um, you can talk to Lyndon Brown to find out a little more about that and where to meet and what time and all that stuff. Lyndon, you want to stand up? I think most of you know him, but that's Lyndon Brown, so he's our Mexico construction guy. Lennon, this says, 
to help with some construction projects. <laughs> okay, so what do you need guys to do for the, oh, Fiesta de Libertad, so. You're not going? <laughs> no construction project, no Mexico. Um, July 29th is a special day for you to just hang out with your family and have a good time. One other event that's coming up, and I think my wife Ann is still here, she did this first service, um, talked about the women's uh, conference that's coming up. So Ann, why don't you come up and share with the ladies a little bit as I keep talking, as you keep walking, because you were all the way in the back and it takes forever and I hate these kinds of rough transitions. And here's Ann. <laughs> what I have to put up with. Okay, this Saturday, we are having our women's conference, and it is awesome. It's awesome chance to meet women in the church, to get refreshed. Um, it's just a total blessing, and the theme is going to be looking unto Jesus, and it's just drawing in closer to Jesus. Um, our guest speaker is gonna be Trudy Reese and her associate, uh, Karen. I myself will be speaking, and so will Kathy Bailey. We will be having a lunch catered by the Corner Bakery, Corner Bakery, which is awesome. And so that's this Saturday. Doors open at 8, and the uh, conference will be from 8.30 till 4. Just an awesome time, awesome worship. I look forward to seeing you. God bless. So there's a table in the foyer for you ladies to sign up for it. There's, like she said, it includes lunch from the corner bakery. There, there's a cost, I think, of $15, but if that's a hardship for you at all, if you're even thinking, man, I'd like to, but $15 is a lot right now, just tell them at the table that I said it's okay and, and uh, just go ahead and sign up anyway. We don't want you to miss it. This Wednesday, well, on Wednesday nights as we're going through the Bible, we've come to the book of Proverbs, and we just got started. We did Proverbs chapter 1 last Wednesday, and there's just so much rich and good stuff in the book of Proverbs. So I would encourage you, if you have the opportunity, to come out on Wednesday nights and just to follow along as we go through the Proverbs and see what kind of wisdom God has for us, at least if you think you lack wisdom. If you think you have plenty of wisdom, we don't even want you, but <laughs> no, not really. You really need it. Let's turn in our Bibles now to Galatians chapter 5. We've been studying through the book of Galatians, and we're now in the middle of here in chapter 5 talking about what it is to walk in the Spirit. Galatians presents us with the biggest problem that we have in this world, and that is our flesh. Our flesh is that part of us that makes us want to do stupid things, makes us want to do things that are destructive to us and hurtful to others. It's that tendency that we have that if something, well, Adam and Eve in the garden, they had all these trees, thousands, maybe millions of trees, and there was only one they couldn't eat. But the next thing you know, there they are sitting under that tree. It's why you don't tell your children don't put a penny in your nose. They'll want to do it. And we're all the same way. We never grow out of that. Maybe we don't put pennies in our nose anymore. But if there's something that we're not supposed to do, we want it. 
If we follow our, our heart, we follow our feelings, we'll usually do dumb things, hurting ourselves and others. And that's the flesh. But Paul explains here in Galatians that the normal, natural way that we would think you'd deal with the flesh, the law, doesn't work, never did work. You would think that, oh, guy, we do all these dumb things, so give us a rule book to show us what we do and don't do, and then that'll be great. We'll follow the instructions. The problem is we aren't good at following instructions. We just don't like someone telling us what to do. And so typically, we will do exactly the opposite that we are told. And that's the lesson of the law. So we have a world full of flesh. And a few weeks ago, as we went through the works of the flesh, all these things, adultery and hatred and contentions and anger and envy and murder, all these things, there they are, and the law hasn't solved that problem. We are still destroying ourselves. We're still destroying each other. But as we see coming into the end of chapter 5 of Galatians, there is something that will solve the problem. And it's called walking in the Spirit. It's called having a relationship with God the Holy Spirit, the one who lives inside of us, understanding that we can walk with Him. As we saw last week, all the characteristics of what it is to walk in the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to live in the Spirit. And if you weren't here last week, I would encourage you to get that CD or DVD or whatever, or listen to it on MP3 on the internet, because, boy, Paul really lays it out that there's a relationship that we can have that will actually defeat the effects of the flesh that will actually short-circuit that tendency that we have to ruin ourselves and everyone around us. It's walking in the Spirit. But now as we come to this section on the fruit of the Spirit, Paul gives us a picture of what it looks like when you're doing it right. He gives us a, a picture of the results of what happens in the life of someone who is walking in the Spirit. And so we have the contrast. We have those works of the flesh. Are you being hateful? Are you being jealous? Are you being unfaithful and whatever? We have all those things on the one side. And then on the other side, we have the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And it's as if the Lord is saying, so what do you want your life to look like? What would you like the people around you to look like? Would you like them to be more angry? Would you like them to be more caring or more peaceful? See, no one sets out to live a life that looks like the flesh. No one says, you know, I, I care so much about people. I think I need to work on my ability to get angry. I think I'll get in front of the mirror and make an angry look. And I need to study, and maybe on the internet there's a list of bad words that I can start to incorporate into my vocabulary that will cause people to be disgusted by my very presence. That's it. That's what I need to do. I'm going to work on that, because I just want to be that kind of a person. Contrary to that, even mean people, even people who are expert at the flesh, again and again decide, you know what? I don't want to be like this. I don't want to have the image that I have. I, I don't want to be a jerk. And so they begin to try with human effort 
basically by some version of the law to clean up their act. I've noticed recently that uh, the singer Madonna, who had begun following the teachings of Kabbalah, which is a, a weird, mystic sort of religion that has a little bit of everything in it. It's very strange, but it's sort of an offshoot, attempted offshoot of Judaism. And so Madonna was trying to clean up her act with Kabbalah. And so she put a rule in her dressing room that anytime someone would say a bad word or do something in anger, that they had to contribute money to the pot. Well, they were getting a lot of money, but it wasn't really changing Madonna and the way she was living. So recently, some of her close friends are saying she's kind of over it. She's thinking about converting away from Kabbalah. She said it's too expensive. You have to keep giving them money. And she's probably sick of having to coordinate her wardrobe with that red bracelet that she wears. And so eh, she's kind of bored with Kabbalah now, and she'll maybe try something else. Well, everyone does that to a degree in one way or another. We try religion, but, you know, religion just doesn't stick. It just doesn't work for us. And God never intended us to be religious people in the sense that we try to do the right thing. What God's always wanted is a relationship with us. He's wanted us to live so close to Him, knowing Him, that that transforms us into something that we can't possibly make ourselves. And what that transforms us in is the fruit of the Spirit. Now, it says the fruit, not the fruits. And the way this is listed, I believe, is that really the fruit of the Spirit is love. All of these other traits, joy and peace and patience and meekness and gentleness, self-control, all these things are things that flow out of a loving relationship with God. And so this morning, we're just going to look at the fruit of the Spirit is love. And then starting next week, we'll look through these other things that will help us to understand love and will also remind us of the benefits of having a life of love. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Now, you can't talk about love without talking about Jesus. Jesus was and is the ideal picture of love. Jesus showed love to us. Paul said over in, in Romans 5 that, that here's how we know love. God showed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We had nothing to offer God. It wasn't that we were good enough that he decided we were worthy and then died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Nothing in ourselves, all coming from the heart of God. And we know love as we see Jesus suffering on the cross. We learn love from Him. And so a relationship with the Holy Spirit is a relationship with Jesus. And it's a relationship by which we start to look more like Jesus as we nurture that relationship, that walk of the Spirit that He wants us to have. Now, I think when Jesus as the epitome of love started to dawn on people, it was over in John chapter 13, and you can turn over there. The disciples enjoyed being with Jesus, and obviously, uh, you know, hanging around Him, seeing His miracles and everything, taught them certain things about compassion and love. But in John 13, as they gathered together in the upper room, 
And Jesus did something radical. He washed the disciples' feet. Washing of the feet in that culture was, was the lowest job that you could have, really. See, they wore sandals, but their sandals weren't the fancy sandals that people have today. These were just basically a piece of leather on the bottom of your foot, a couple of cords wrapped around it in order to hold it on. And they walked everywhere they went, and there was dirt everywhere they went, and their feet were just grody and disgusting. To make matters worse, when you'd get together for dinner, see, I don't, if I sit down to dinner with someone, I don't really care if their feet are dirty. Not only are they generally hid in shoes, but they're stuck under the table. But see, the way they would eat, you'd lay on your side and lean on the person next to you, and so the person a couple of people down, their feet were in your face. So you're laying down, and there's feet right there. Even clean feet, that would kind of gross me out. But imagine dirty, smelly feet. Now, the disciples were meeting in a borrowed room, and they didn't have a servant there. And so they're about ready to sit down and eat, and Jesus does something radical. He gets the dish with water in it and a towel, and he starts to wash the feet of the disciples. Wow. I mean, what an amazing and a humble thing. Not only that, at this point, he knew Judas was going to betray him, and he washed the feet of Judas. And then as they ate, he offered food to Judas, took the bread, dipped it in the wine, and handed it to him, and then announced, somebody here is going to betray me, and whispered to John, it's the guy that I hand the bread to, watch. Now, what an amazing picture but then, as we see, Jesus talking to them later after Judas had left, it says in verse 31 of John 13, So when he, Judas, had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in me. Oh, glorified? You're going to ascend to the throne now? If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Immediately. Whoa. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer, and you will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, what? You're leaving? And then he says, a new commandment I give to you. Earlier when Jesus was challenged as to what the most important commandment was, he said, well, you can really boil it down to two. Love the Lord your God the Shema, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second one's similar, love your neighbor as yourself. But now in this new revelation, he said, really, there's just one. I'm giving you a new commandment. I'm showing you something that you wouldn't have seen otherwise. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He was about to show that love in just a few days by being nailed to a cross, by giving himself unselfishly, completely and totally, offering himself for others. And Jesus is telling him, this is the main thing. When you see me, this is what I want you to see. It's why I've just washed your feet and then told you to wash other people's feet. It's a plan that I have that involves love. Now, John, who was watching this and these events, his life was changed forever. 
John's life was just radically changed by witnessing the love of Jesus. Remember, John was the one who was lying on Jesus' chest at this point. John was the one who later, when he would refer to himself, he would call himself the one Jesus loved. John got the nickname of the beloved one, the beloved disciple, because he caught it. He understood. It's love. That's what he commanded us to do. John, more than any of the other disciples, witnessed that love in a graphic way because it was John who stood there at the foot of the cross and had the privilege of, as Jesus nails in his hands and feet, having been beaten, ready to die, Jesus notices John there and he says, hey, John, take care of my mom. And, she, and he said to Mary, Mary, treat John like he's your, you know, your son. Adopt each other. What an amazing and what a transforming thing that must have been for this crusty fisherman who now is just melted into love, has just been reduced to love. And over in the book of 1 John, and you can turn over there, John just can't shut up about this love. He just, the, the book of 1 John that's, that's talking about how to know if someone's a real Christian, he just keeps stressing this over and over again. In chapter 3 of 1 John, he says, well, throughout chapters 3 and 4, I'm not going to take time to read it all, but he said uh, in verse 10, whoever doesn't practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Verse 14, we know that we've passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Verse 16, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us. And we ought also to lay down our lives for the brethren. Verse 23, this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave us commandment. Chapter 4, verse 7, Beloved, let's love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the payment for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And he just goes on again and again. He says, hey, if you say you love God and you don't love your brother, it means nothing. It's a lie. Verse 19 of chapter 4, we love him because he first loved us. You can't escape it. John knew it. In fact, it's said in church history, according to tradition, that when John was a very old man, up around 100 years old, he got to the point where he couldn't deliver messages anymore. He was fading fast. Some of you can relate to that feeling. But every time the church there would meet, they would bring him out in a chair and set him down in front of the people. And everyone would look at John the Beloved, and, and John would just say, Beloved, let us love one another. Then they would wheel him out. Man, I'd love it if at the end of my life, if I lived long enough, that that's what I would be reduced to. That it's like, you know what? Everything else has been said. What you need to hear, what you need to know is we need to love each other. 
And that love comes from God. That love makes us look like Jesus. That love we learn from watching his example. That's huge. But not only is that love, the fruit of the Spirit, connected so closely and intimately with Jesus, but it's also important because if it isn't there, nothing else matters. You can't just treat this as, well, okay, that's step one, but, you know, we have a lot of other steps, a lot of other things we need to be. Because everything else that we do is absolutely meaningless if we don't pass the test of love. The test of love is our ultimate test. It's a test that we all face on a daily basis. There's only one question on the test, and it's you either ace it or you flunk based on this. Is God's love shining forth through you? You're being loving. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you're familiar with the passage. It's called the love chapter. Paul talks about this and how important love is. And he says in the beginning of verse 1, Even if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. He goes on to describe love and say that it's, says that it suffers long and still kind. It doesn't envy, it doesn't parade itself, isn't puffed up, prideful, doesn't act rudely, doesn't seek its own, it isn't selfish, it's not provoked, it thinks no evil, it doesn't rejoice in iniquity but rejoices in the truth, it bears or puts up with all things, it believes the best about all things, it has a hope about all things, it'll put up with and endure, it lasts. Love never fails. And in the end, now abide, faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Do you understand how profound what Paul is saying is? And it brings us back to the importance of the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. Because if we don't get that, nothing else matters. If people can't see love flowing forth from our life, all of the orthodoxy that we have, all of the good works that we do, all of the sins that we avoid, it doesn't mean anything. No matter how religious we are, if it doesn't come off as love, if people can't see it, they can't see Jesus. And Jesus is the answer to every problem that's in this world. It's the heart of God that people who don't know Jesus would see Jesus and through seeing him, discover the answer for that which is destroying them. Now this, to me, is rather humbling. Because there are plenty of times when I do the right thing. But I don't do it really out of love. And if you watched me, I'm not sure that you would pick up that this, what I'm doing, is an act of love. You might get the idea that what I'm doing is fulfilling something because it has to be done. A horrible burden that belongs to me, and I'm doing it. I haven't washed a lot of people's feet, but if I was Jesus and I was washing the disciples' feet, I'd be muttering under my breath. First of all, I'd be thinking, I hope you losers 
get the significance of this. You should be washing my feet, but I'm washing yours. And I'm, and I'm washing, I'm going to be scrubbing harder. I'm going to make their skin come off. Why am I doing this? Why didn't somebody? And now you're not even offering. You're not even getting, hey, let me help you. You're just letting me do it. I can't believe it. It's the attitude that I have sometimes when I pick up a piece of trash in the part around the you know property or something, or somebody leaves a mess and I'm cleaning it up. It's not, wow, I'm gonna do this out of love. It's like I can't believe who did this and I you know, if I find out, you know, what we need is more hidden cameras because we can find <laughs> Or do I just go, here is a chance for me to show that which matters most in life, to clean up after somebody else's mess, to reach out to someone who maybe is unlovely and maybe doesn't deserve the love, to respond not in kind, but with kindness. You know, I'll get phone calls sometimes, and I'll be out of town or away, and somebody calls and leaves a message, and, you know, I haven't had a chance to call them back yet because I haven't heard my messages. And when I listen to my messages, there's somebody going, hi, pastor, could you call me right away? And it's like, you don't say who you are. You didn't leave your phone number. It's just call me right away. Oh, what do I do with that? And then beep, next message. Pastor, I called before. I don't know if they didn't give you the message. I don't know what the problem is, but I asked you to call me. And, and uh, so please do it right away. Beep. I'm like, Okay, how do I do this? Who's mad at me? Finally, the third call. You know, I'm really fed up. I remember a time when you could call the church and talk to a real person, and you apparently I'm just not important enough. Maybe I don't give enough money, and you just don't want to call me, and, and you know, never mind. And I'm like, man, I wish I had their phone number. I, I could really give them a piece of my mind in love. <laughs> But see, when people act in an inappropriate or crazy way, that's our opportunity to love. When somebody calls up and says, you know, I just wanted to tell you what a blessing you are. And I have something special for you, and I want to make sure you get it, and so I'd love to come and hand it to you myself. And, I, and uh, so here's my number, and call me back. It's like, oh, great. But if somebody calls and they're mad at me, Oh, no, I don't want to go there. I don't want to do that. I don't need that in my life. But Jesus loved us while we were sinners. And he died for us when there was nothing glamorous or enjoyable about it at all. And that's the way he would have us to respond. Now, I won't get so personal as to ask what people see when they see you. But the easy cheap shot is to turn on Christian television and leave the sound down. Trust me, I've heard what they have to say. It's not worth listening to. But look at Christians out there in the media. What impression do you get of them? Do you see love and compassion? It looks to me like, man, they're really angry about something. Now, before I pick on them too much, I haven't done this yet, but I would encourage you to do it. Go on the Internet pull up me when I'm preaching, and turn the sound down. I've heard it. It's not that valuable. But watch, and I wonder, I wonder, I'll do this myself. 
and wonder, what impression would you get of me if I'm not hearing what you're saying, but instead I'm just seeing how you're depicting yourself? Do I look angry? Do I look upset? Do I look like I'm trying to call fire from heaven so that God is going to judge people who deserve it desperately? Or would you look and go, you know, there's something that's kind of, this person looks like he cares. One of the biggest blessings of my life, I've always not liked my own voice. I always think it's annoying. I can't believe people will actually listen to me. But we have some people in our church who accepted the Lord, and they did after the man was listening to the radio, and he said, I heard your voice, and there was just something so soothing about it. Now, people used to say Pastor Chuck's voice is soothing, and that's why they would sleep in church. So I don't know if that's... <laughs> but I was so blessed that, I mean, on the one hand, I, I think, you mean it wasn't how profound the things that I was saying touched you? It wasn't my grasp of theology. Now, it's just the sound of my voice, that's it? But I was so ministered to and have been since as I think about that and see those people now walking with the Lord and going to our church, and it's like... To use a silly thing like that, and yet, isn't that kind of what it's about? If people don't notice that somehow we have compassion, that there's something about us that allows them to see the love of God, then everything else they see about us is completely meaningless. Sounding brass, tinkling cymbal. No one cares how smart you are. No one cares really that much how talented you are how great looking you are. When they see all those things, they're just jealous of you. They wish you were more like them. But there's something that's an absolute magnet to people. It's when they get in your presence and they know that you care. And they see and they experience the love of God. And if you don't get that, you need to start over. Oh, it's horrible sometimes when we represent Jesus in a way that is not worthy of his very nature in which God is love. If people can't see our love, nothing else we do matters. We can be as efficient, as proficient. We can be, we can be an amazing gift to the planet. But without love, it is absolutely worthless. And so it's so important for us to learn this lesson, to get this. If they don't know that you love them, you have given up the opportunity to make a difference in anyone's life. If your kids know that you demand things of them, but they don't really know that you love them, it doesn't do you a bit of good. As a teacher, if you're teaching kids and they're excited about how smart you are, but they aren't absolutely certain that you love them, you won't do them a bit of good. It's a sounding brass. It's a tinkling symbol, a symbol of selfishness, a symbol that says, I am more important than you are because love says, I am preferring you over me. And it's sacrificial, but that's how important it is. I used to tell the teachers at our school, at Calvary, that everything that we do, all the teaching of the history and the English and the math and the science, and all of the stuff that we do is just our excuse 
to spend six plus hours a day with kids, letting them know how much we love them and God loves them. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart because if we teach them all these skills and they aren't touched by God's love, it's not going to do them any good. It's why our prisons have been so unsuccessful because we take people who are bad people and we give them skills and they just become better at being bad people. There's nothing that touches their life in such a way as love can, where love can actually transform our nature. And so if I'm not sure that I'm coming off loving, then I need to back up and put that first. And I need to check myself constantly in every conversation I have, in every relationship that I have. If people don't leave with the notion of love, there's no profit to it. Now, if love is that important, that it is the visible image of Jesus Christ himself, it is the solution, the answer to what's wrong in the world, well, how do we get it? Try to be more loving? Make some rules of love? I remember sometimes when we were camping as kids and we'd be taking long drives and, and my grandpa just hated noise and so he would bribe us to not fight with each other. He would say, if everyone can be loving for the next hour, then I'll give you each a dollar. And we were really loving. But it wasn't from love. If anything, it was from loving money, which is the root of all evil. But for so many of us, that's the way we live our lives. Okay, I need to act more loving. Pastor was talking today about love, and I can't go yell at my family right after church. Wouldn't look good. It would be, I know they're just going to go... You maybe you ought to get that tape. <laughs> and so, okay, today is the love day. And as long as nobody really crosses me too much, I'll be loving. That works about as well as following any law. It doesn't work. Remember, it says the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's fruit. An apple that wants to be an orange can't be an orange. An orange grows from an orange tree. Now, there are people today that are really good at making fake food. They make these desserts that just make your mouth water. They're made out of plastic and fiberglass. And I'm sure that there are fake oranges out there somewhere that look better than any orange that you've ever tasted. But when you bite into them, they're plastic. And that's what happens with plastic people who try to act loving, who try to work it up, who work on their appearance in some way. And they hold it down and they suck it in and they try to... That's not what he's saying. This is something that he wants to grow for real, naturally, coming out of our lives. Well, how does that happen? It goes back to what we talked about last week. And again, get the tape of last week if you weren't here. It's about walking in the Spirit. It's about your personal relationship with God, the Holy Spirit. It's what brings you into fellowship with Jesus Christ. It what, it's what makes you into a person that isn't going to make everyone else sick who gets to know you. It's walking in the Spirit. It's having that relationship. And last week as we talked about walking in the Spirit... Just having that journey where we're moving and exercising that which God wants to do in our lives, setting the pace, not running, but walking, being patient, having that fellowship, listening to Him, having a heart to follow Him, 
appreciating life as the gift that it is, realizing this is something that we do all day long, walking in the Spirit. That's where it starts, and ultimately that's where it ends. Love is not something that you can try to do. It doesn't work. The best thing you can do is to fake it. And there's nothing worse than fake love. Frankly, I think some of you have a hard time with this whole concept of love because you've seen enough fake love. You've pretty much had it with that. And there are some of you that have given up on the whole notion of love because you've decided that it's not real. That's why the answer is not to fake it better. Put up a better act. The answer if the love isn't there. If you're seeing your life dominated really by selfishness, it's to back up and to return to the principle of what does it mean to have a relationship with God? It's to go spend time with Him. It's to take a walk with Him. It's to let Him know that He can change whatever He wants to change in our lives. If He wants to make us more loving, we'll let Him do it. And we'll go with the flow of that. And we'll discover the rhythm of that and how that works out in our lives. To do otherwise is to spin your wheels, is to waste your time faking it. The world doesn't need more phony lovers. They don't need people who are acting loving because someone told them to or that's their job. They don't need people to pretend like they care. But what this world needs desperately is people who really do care people who really do love. Don't you crave that in your life? Well, take it a step further. Wouldn't you love for that to flow forth from your life? Wouldn't you love for people to see Jesus when they look at you? And it's as simple as looking for love. It's as simple as looking and going, you know, it's just not there. I'm doing things, but I'm griping about them. When I'm helping other people, I'm resenting them. I'm doing it because it'll make more of a hassle if I don't do it. And so I return to my relationship personally with the God of heaven, the one who made me, and to that fellowship with God who is inside me, the Holy Spirit. And I say, okay, I need to learn to walk again. I need to plug into you. I need to spend time with you so that you can cause this fruit to grow forth from my life. Doing that, the result we'll see as we begin next week looking at these other characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. Joy and peace and patience and goodness. All of these things, self-control, all these things that we all crave for our lives. They come, they flow naturally as we are walking in love. Now remember this, if you're not sure what walking in the Spirit is, it's walking in love. If you're not sure what's being led by the Spirit is, it's being led by love. If you're not sure what life in the Spirit is, it's a life of love. Most of the time it's pretty easy, it's not that complicated. I have a decision that I need to make, trying to figure out what to do so often, wanting to hear from God. Situation would be solved if I would just ask myself, what is the most loving thing to do in this situation? Usually, that just about does it. Because so often what holds us back from God's will is our selfishness. 
And selfishness and love are as opposite as they can possibly be. And so, in this ethereal concept of walking in the Spirit, how do I know if I'm doing it? The Lord makes it just as clear and concise as He possibly could. And He says, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Is that there? Is that what people are noticing about us? Is that what, as a church, people will take away? Is that what people see in the body of Christ and go, yeah, those Christians, they have some kooky beliefs. They're thinking they're going to be floating up in the air someday, and they're going to have golden streets. And that's kind of goofy, but man, I'll tell you something. They really do love. I get the feeling that they really care about me. They're genuine. Is that what people see? Or do they go, those Christians, they have some crazy ideas, plus they're just jerks. They seem to hate everyone who isn't just like them. They rip each other to shreds even. I don't want to get anywhere near that. Is that the picture? If it is, it's because collectively we aren't allowing the Holy Spirit to plant those seeds that will grow forth, and it doesn't take long for love to begin to spring forth when it's planted But it comes back to walking in the Spirit, to letting God do what only God can do, changing us by allowing our lives to just show forth, to shine forth with love. If that isn't happening, something is desperately wrong. If when people think of you, they don't think of love. See, when they thought of Jesus, that's what they thought of. That's the way they would describe him. If that's not the way they describe you, don't just start faking it. Spend some time in your walk with the Holy Spirit. Relate to him. Allow him to lead and to guide and to convict and to conform you, to make you, and ultimately to reduce you to love. That's what being a Christian is in its simplest, most boiled-down form. It's to be transformed by the Holy Spirit as a result of the example of the love of Jesus Christ as he died for us so that miraculously we start to care more than we used to. That's it in a nutshell. To not do that is to waste your time. If you are already committed to be a grumpy, grouchy, miserable person, don't waste your time and your money on Christianity. Christianity has nothing for you if that's what you want to be. There's no assurance for you if that's who you are. But if what you'd like is for your life to spring forth with a real genuine care and concern and love for others that they notice, even when you disagree with them, they're amazed at how kind you are, and how loving you are, then Christianity has a lot for you. And as you plug into a relationship with the Holy Spirit, you'll see that happen. And you'll see Him doing that work in your life. And there's nothing better than pure love. There's nothing better than to exercise His love and to feel the the sense of fulfillment and the joy and the peace that come forth from that as we will see as we go through the rest of the fruit of the Spirit. And that's what I I pray for you, for us as a body too, that people would sense that genuine love, that that would happen. Stop working on other areas of your life until you start getting a handle on this. There are some people who are studying theology day and night who would be better off playing ring around the rosies with little kids until they start to love. 
God help us when all of the theologians don't love. It's miserable. Lord, we pray and thank you for the work that you want to do in our lives. We look at who we really are and we see this image of your son passionately loving the world so much that he would give his own life. Happy to do it because of that heart of love. Lord, we know we fall short. But God, lead us to a walk with you, a genuine, real walk with you that brings about fruit in our lives that will cause us to manifest your love in a way that when people see us, they see you. Lord, we don't have that much time. We don't have that much money. We don't have that many resources. We don't have that much talent to afford to waste any of it. And so don't allow us to just do things that profit nothing. Help us to get our priorities straight so that your love is clear. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand.